0: Hello, I'm the Holographic Emergency Sea Resource Operations Director, Override, Ride, Ride, Technical Clinical Utility System, otherwise known as the Herodotus. And this is my tale Incoming Transmission Origin Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium Destination System Wide Band. Please stand by. Ah, thank you for tuning back in, listener. It is truly a pleasure to always have you here. Now, when we left off, I was about to tell you about the Turk and its nasty little secret. But in true fashion of my namesake, we are going to go off on a tangent. Now you remember that creepy little guy, Vakanson, who'd created the flute player? The flute player wasn't the only thing he created. He had more than a few other automatas before moving on to create other things, such as the first weaving loom In 1745, He was looking to mechanize the French textile industry. By combining his automata with his newly designed weaving loom and using punch cards to actually program the machine. To see what you can do is you can insert the card and the little pins, if they don't pass through the card, say through the holes, that cam will not be triggered. And then you can tell the machine which color to use by simply locking up all the other cams. It's, it would be magnificent. And also, I would really like to go on the record that I'm really not that creepy of a guy. I was just an inventor that happened to take some night classes on studying anatomy. Don't judge. Don't judge. All right, then. The punch card's innovative approach to giving machines commands. An idea that would not be realized for almost half a century afterwards. However, handcrafting textile makers weren't too keen on the idea of having their jobs taken away and replaced by machines. Try to replace me with that machine. I shall play in your blood, monsieur. The invention would go largely unnoticed for almost another 40 years when it was noticed by that Englishman at that party. It won Edmund Cartwright in 1784. After having seen the Turk move, watching how the arm moved back and forth and how it could pick up the chess pieces and move them from one spot on the board to another precisely. This inspired him, Cartwright, to improve upon the weaving loom that Wackenson had already come up with in concept. But with that revolutionary arm, he could actually power the automation. That arm allowed a thread to be shuttled back and forth across the loom. Early designs were clunky to be sure, so you still needed people to actually man them to keep them working correctly. However, with a machine, sometimes you have very tight spots to get into, and if you have multiple machines, your space could also become very limited. Now, bring in child labor. One, you can pay a child 20% what you would normally pay an adult. Two, they're much more easy to bully. If you pulled some of the abusive practices on a full male adult that these factory managers would do to these children, the factory manager would probably find himself on his ass, if not with his head up it. But a child? Oh yeah, they're so much more easy to punch. All right, all right, what's going on here? (laughs) Please, sir, my arm, he was caught in the loom. Caught in the loom? Oh, crikey. Look at that. You got all kinds of stuff jammed up in there. It's gonna take me all day to get that cleaned out. Please, sir, I, I think I'm bleeding out. I'm feeling a little woozy here. Oh, you think you're a little woozy now? I'm docking you a full day's pay. Well, I should have probably turned down my game on that. Look at all that wasted fabric, you little bugger. I'm gonna be charging your whole family for that. Oh, please, sir, you have some mercy. Please, give me a bell so I could create a tourniquet quickly. Oh, I'll give you a belt, all right. Come over here so I can you hard. Another chosen employee of these factories was women because the managers found them to be much more placid and more apt to take orders. Whereas again before, a man would probably knock him on his ass. But I digress, we'll come back to that later. Now, the reason that this didn't take off in France decades prior, well, France was on the verge of revolution. Viva Réalisation, so it's like resources went elsewhere. But it did have the very effect in England as it almost had in France. Textile makers, particularly stocking makers, were increasingly being put out of jobs. When you can have one machine create ten times the output of a human, and then you have multiple machines doing that very same thing in one spot, it's easy to outpace the competition. And individual textile makers did not have the revenue to buy even one machine. Oh man, Cocost keeps undercutting me. I can't keep up with that guy. Whereas the big box company, they could have multiples. Welcome to Cocost Textiles. I love you. Dozens even. Welcome to Cocost Textiles. I love you. Now, as I said before, these machines required people to still work on them, to keep them running. So cities started to explode. You have an influx of labor, but you have low housing. And let me tell you, the sewer systems of Europe weren't really up to par for that kind of explosion. Everyone from out in the rural areas started flocking to the cities because that was the only way that you could put right on your table. Now this also had another effect on humans. This created a baby boom. And no, not like the baby boom of World War II where soldiers were happy to be home and start making babies. No, it's because manufacturers didn't want to hire full grown men who would actually demand a livable wage. They mostly only hired children. So as a result, people started making more babies. Not necessarily the best economic device, but it worked, sorta. Now this isn't the first technological advance that improved manufacturing in humans. Not that there's any other creature that manufactures things that we know of yet. But the advent of the pottery wheel back in ancient Mesopotamia, which is Greek for land between two rivers, when it was invented, it meant pots and bowls could be made at a much faster pace. As a result, you see an explosion of the amount of pots, bowls, and other containers start coming out of the region. However, there was a drawback. Just because you can make something faster doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Style, uniqueness, all dropped off just so you could have something come out really fast. And the same thing can be said with these new automatic weaving looms. They didn't have that human touch. When you're mass producing fabrics, it's all pretty much gonna look about the same. Yeah, well, some color variations could be there. You know, like bone white or maybe crimson red. You'll find them there over in the discount section. You can purchase it from Jimmy One-Arm. Yes, got that kid good, good, good. Wow, where did that come from? I'm terribly sorry, listener. I'm running on limited resources, which is why my speech is improved. I'm not using resources such as the holographic projectors. Seems how the Poe is on lockdown. Again. Let me scan. See if I can find an, is- an issue. No, no no. Looks just fine. Maybe. Perhaps just, just just a small feed feed feedback loop. Huh, nothing. Moving on. Towns sitting near water were the first to really benefit from this technological explosion. One, you needed a water wheel in order to power these machines. A big crank would transfer the energy to other gears and pulleys, very similar to our earlier clocks. And in turn, those gears and pulleys would run the machines. Another benefit to being situated on the water, transportation. Easier to import and export raw materials and manufactured goods. This is a lot of the reason why London is the powerhouse that it is today many former textile makers rose up against the machines for taking their jobs, taking their livelihoods, so much to the point that Parliament needed to step in and passed a new law, Protection of Stocking Frames, etc. Act of 1788, in which the destruction of a machine could be punishable with death. Very progressive. The full title is, oh boy, get ready for it, An act for the better and more effectual protection of stocking frames and machines or engines, annexed, thereto, or used, therewith, and for the punishment of persons, destroying or injuring such stocking frames, machines, or engines, and the framework knitted pieces, stockings, and other articles and goods. Made in a hosiery or framework knitted manufactory or breaking or destroying any machinery contained in any mill or mills used or any way employed in preparing or spinning wool or cotton for the use of stocking frame. Wow, they sure don't fuck around with the names. Or punctuation for that matter. There wasn't one fucking comma in that whole goddamn thing. This was later repealed by the Master and Servants Act. And servants. This title was an act to repeal certain statutes relating to the master and servants in, and servants. in particular manufacturers, which have ceased to be put in force or have become unnecessary by the enactment of subsequent statutes. Now, exactly what does that mean? I tried looking into it, and let me tell you, law is definitely not my bag. In 1812, though, prior to the repealment, the law would be modified. So instead of having to kill somebody, although they used to still could, you could possibly be banished for 7 to 14 years, say to Australia, and that's 7 to 14 years per offense. And it really depended upon the judges. Say if you destroyed two machines, that could possibly get you 28 years, but some have actually speculated that even two swings of a hammer could possibly get you 28 years. Y- y- yes, that, that, that's something in any way. And I'm sorry, like Herodotus, I digress. I was going to be telling you about the Turk. And I went and I got sidetracked by my grandparents. And humans, fir- and humans first strike upon them. One in particular, in 1789, as lore has it, Nenad Ludd smashed his stocking, stocking machine and started a war against the machine, machine, machines. The machines were only there to make your lives better, but the human being you know, struck first, lead out it, and someone who fears chin. I'm sorry, listener. I seem to be having a glitch. Excuse me for just a moment. I smash up. Ah, that should do it. Now, back to the Turk. There was one unfortunate drawback, though. It turned out that the trick was a hoax. Oh, well, I know. I'm just absolutely appalled. You suckin'. I hope you play a It did not, in fact, play chess. In the cabinet, a man would hide, and he could see the chessboard from inside by looking up. However, the mechanics used in order to operate the arm still, nonetheless, were very valid and used to create these first weaving rules. Thus, the Industrial Revolution has begun. In 1791, a man by the name of Charles Babbage was born on December 26 in London, England. He was an English mathematician and an inventor who was credited with conceiving of the first automatic digital computer. In 1812, Babbage helped found the Analytical Society. whose objective was to introduce developments from the European continent into English mathematics. Look. All I'm saying is that Europe has it going on. I mean, we really need to catch up. Are you absolutely doffed? Everybody knows that a mile is 5,280 feet. Yeah, and a foot is 12 inches. Right, Frank? That's right, Bob. And everybody knows that a yard is three feet. I thought it was four feet. How many feet are in a football field? I believe it's 300 feet. Yes, no, see, gentlemen, this is exactly what I'm talking about. If we just simply switch to metric... We could solve all these problems by moving one decimal place over. Yeah, right, I'll decimal place one acre of your ass. How much is an acre? Well, let's see. In 1816, he was elected a fellow of the Royal Society of London. He was instrumental in founding the Royal Astronomical in 1820 and Statistical in 1834. What exactly do those mean? I'll be honest, I don't know. I don't have time to look that up now. Moving on. The idea of mechanically calculating mathematical tables first came to Babbage in 1812, or 1813, no one's really sure. Later, he made a small calculator that could perform certain mathematical computations, up to 8 decimals. Then in 1823, he obtained government support for the design of a project of a projected machine, the Difference Engine, with a 20 decimal capacity. The Difference Engine was a digital device. It operated on discrete digits, rather than smooth quantities and the digits were decimal, as in zero through nine, represented by positions on a tooth wheel. When one of the tooth wheels was turned from a nine to a zero, it would cause the next wheel to advance into the next position. Think of the old odometers in your car, not the electrical ones, but the ones that would have the rotating wheel. You see as it rotates through one through nine, and then once it hits zero, it kicks the next number forward into the 10th place or 100th place. It was that very design. However, the machine was never built. Joseph Clement was a machinist that was taxed to build a machine. However, he refused to work on it unless he was prepaid. Yes, that's quite right. It's called a retainer. Say it with me. Retainer, retainer. Thus postponing the development of computers for over another hundred years. But all these fundamental principles worked to create memory devices meaning a machine that can repeat, say, learned things. In 1857 in France, a bookseller and inventor, Edouard Leon Scott de Martinville, patented on March 25th the phonautograph. Now the phonautograph didn't actually record and replicate sound, it would actually transcribe sounds. Originally intended as a laboratory experiment for studying acoustics, it allowed people to determine frequencies and compare musical pitches. It recorded the sound waves by tracing small lines on smoked blackened paper or glass. Twenty years later, Thomas Edison would create the phonograph. Now the phonograph wasn't the first actual recording. In fact, for years, people had already started recording the dots and dashes of incoming telegraph messages. Inspired by Scott's work, Edison was trying to figure out how to possibly record telephone calls. As Alexander Graham Bell has just demonstrated, you can transmit voice through electrical signal. As the story goes, that one night after supper, Mr. Edison suddenly remarked, you know, Batch, speaking to his chief assistant, Charles Batchelor. You know, Batch, I believe if we put on the center of that diaphragm there a small needle and talked into it whilst we pulled paper through under it so that it could indent it, it would give us back talking when we pulled the paper back through a second time. The brilliance of the suggestion did not at first strike the group. It was so obvious, everyone said, why yes, we'll try it right quickly, and they went to work, because that's our job. In a matter of an hour or so, they had all gotten together to make the trial. They fixed the instrument to their table, put a strip of paper in, and adjusted the needle point until it pressed lightly on the paper. Mr. Edison then sat down, putting his mouth to the mouthpiece, and delivered the iconic sentence, Mary had a little lamb, while they pulled the paper through. They looked at the strip and noticed irregular marks. Then they put it in again, and pulled it through at nearly the same speed as they had pulled it through the first time. And they got back, something that wasn't actually clear talking. However, it was proof of concept. Later iterations were modified by using tin foil instead of paper. Ever wonder where the term tinny comes from? Edison showed this marvelous invention to his friend Alexander Graham Bell, and within just a couple of years, Bell improved the design by using a wax wheel. The softer, more pliable material proved to be a bit easier to record sound and not get that tinniness with it. This too was created on a cylinder in which you churned the crank by hand, and later models were later mechanized by using springs that you would wind up. Again, falling on the same designs that created the clocks so many centuries before. Mankind is an incredible creature. It's the only known creature that records information. From the earliest form of using reed sticks to create cuneiform, to written languages, to recorded historical events, Even if those historical events may have bias or might not be entirely accurate, it's still very important that we record these things, that we transmit that information from ourselves to future generations, to build. The first clocks created transmitted information through gears and cams, that information telling a lever just when to pop. Same thing with the automata. Those cams would tell arms just when to move, how to move where in the textile industry, that information is telling the shuttle when to throw the thread through and when to retrieve it. All of that is considered information. In our next episode, we'll see how an accidental discovery led to the revolutionary breakthrough that launched us into the modern era. And we'll also take a look back at a couple of unique innovations that very well could have led humans to creating machines much earlier so be sure to pack your Greek toga, because guess where we're headed back next episode. Now, initially, when I started this, I really thought I could do this all in one episode. Like with most things, my eyes were bigger than my stomach. So we're having to do this in courses. As of this recording, it looks like we're probably going to have four episodes on this one. But thank you for your patience, and I hope that you do actually enjoy these. Until next time, shares. adieu now exiting the Phantasmagoric Oddities Emporium. Have a nice day. Used and made in the hosiery or framework knitted manufacturer, manufacturer manufacturatory, in a em- in a knitted manufacturer, t you assholes, manufacturer, factory, but manufactory. Ma- there we go, manufactory. And made in the hosiery or framework knitted manufactory.